Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death dying on other things. Any little bit helps. Now on to the show. I can't really describe the way I was feeling when I wrote this. Or what I was thinking about. I think I'm struggling a lot with feeling overwhelmed about climate change and COVID. And I'm reckoning with my complicated relationship with food over the course of my life, too. Thinking about how, as a teenager, I would keep snacks under my bed and literally wake up and shovel them into my mouth. Now I have relapses into that sort of behavior even now into my adult life. I don't know. It's all complicated. It's complicated how I feel right now. But I guess that's not out of the ordinary either. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, a story about eating. In The Hunger at the Center of Everything, a teenager tries to eat his fill, and so does an isolated place in the plains. Death and dying, the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. Somewhere in the middle of the country, where the plains give way to rolling hills, a field mouse wanders through the underbrush. Searching for something, food most likely, the mouse sticks to shadows and tries to avoid making too much noise. It's early morning. The sun has risen past the hills. The mouse is out far too late. It should be back in its burrow by now. The mouse pushes its way through the grass, sending vibrations up the tall stalks and puffs of tiny bugs off of each seed head. Finally, a morsel, grass seed, perhaps knocked loose by some much larger animal passing some time ago, perhaps shaken off by the mouse's own movements. But the little creature doesn't have that kind of mental capacity to make those kinds of considerations. It devours the seed, and continues on its way. Suddenly, the mouse turns around, a complete 180 degrees, and scampers back exactly the way it just came. Before long, it makes the same move over again, 
turning back the way it was headed to begin with, before it again seems to hit some invisible wall and turns back to retrod the same path. The mouse will stay here, becoming desperate to find its burrow until it's snapped up by a garter snake at mid-morning. The garter snake will slither and slide through the thick grass and, just like the mouse, find itself turning back and forth over a particular path until late in the evening when the snake is likewise consumed by a lone fox who succumbs to the same fate. Eventually, the fox will die of thirst in that unseen prison, but not before it gets desperate for food and water and digs into the earth beneath its feet, searching for worms or grubs or anything that might sustain it. Dirt will fly several feet into the air as the fox's sad paws rip into the ground. It won't find food, though. Instead, only a foot beneath the thin roots of the surrounding grass, the fox will scrape its claws against the rough stone of a long-buried boulder. Nicholas Halstead woke in a puddle of his own sweat. The ceiling fan, on full because it was the middle of summer and 100 degrees in the shade during the day, sent him into shivers. He had been dreaming he was a starving fox, and even now the pains in his stomach made him consider going to the kitchen for a small snack. Instead, he took a shower, and once he had dried himself off, he stripped his bed and laid a towel where his sweat had soaked through the mattress. He laid on the bare mattress the rest of the night, listening to the fan whir while he closed his eyes and tried to will himself back to sleep. When his alarm went off several hours later, he cursed and grumbled and rolled out of bed and pulled his pants on like it was the hardest thing he'd ever done in his life. Then, when he was fully dressed and he'd slung his backpack over his shoulders, he dragged himself down to the kitchen, ate breakfast, and then went to the bus stop and headed to school. He struggled through his five classes that day. That morning, during English, he nearly fell asleep, and again later that morning during history. He sat alone during lunch, devouring the sandwich, chips, and coke his mom had packed him the night before. And then he bought a chocolate bar from the vending machine, which he ate in two bites on his way to the outskirts of his high school's campus, to the quiet brick wall of the art building near the road. There, Nicholas sat on the ground with his back against the warm brick and ran his tongue over his teeth, sucking the remnants of the sweet chocolate from between them. In minutes... The warm sunlight had lulled him to sleep. The grasshopper lands on the top of a plate of grass, one of hundreds of thousands swaying gently in the golden afternoon breeze. The bright green insect uses its strong jaws to saw into the green golden blade, making quick work of the afternoon snack. In an instant, the grasshopper is dead, snapped up in the jaws of a diving blackbird. The blackbird lands deep in the thick brush to finish its meal and struggles to force the grasshopper's powerful hind legs, now flailing wildly from the last few electrical impulses firing through the dead insect's body. 
only inches from the blackbird, a fox lay dead in a shallow hole. The fox's golden fur undulates with the presence of hundreds of newly arrived maggots crawling through the freshly dead animal, devouring what they can. The blackbird, finally finished with its morning meal, catches a glimpse of the dead animal and stares for a moment with its left eye before crouching and then leaping into the air with its wings stretched. The blackbird has only flapped its wings a handful of times before it realizes it's flying straight toward the ground and pulls its flight up, flapping violently and extending its tiny claws. It lands safely and then takes off again, but finds itself, only moments later, again flying full speed at the ground, having turned sharply away from the blue skies above. This time, the blackbird tumbles through the tall grass, over the fox's decaying corpse, and into the soft underbrush. The blackbird, after a moment, rights itself and preens its now ruffled feathers, getting ready for another flight. Behind, the blackbird doesn't notice the fox's paw begin to twitch. Each of the fox's toes begin to jerk, as though the fox were alive, just asleep and perhaps dreaming. The toes spread suddenly, violently, and each explodes off the fox's foot with a sickening crack, propelled by four wriggling pink feelers. They move quickly through the underbrush, and before the blackbird can react, it's been seized by the four tendrils, which retract just as quickly, pulling the bird into the writhing mass underneath the fox's fur. Nicholas was woken up by a school security guard tapping his left thigh lightly with the toe of the guard's boot. Looking up at security, Nicholas was blinded by the bright blue sky, and had to shade his dilated pupils from the bright sunlight. Get to class, the security card grumbled. You're ten minutes late. Nicholas jumped to his feet, wincing from a gentle soreness in his joints, his ankles specifically. You all right? the guard asked. Fine, Nicholas said, and hurried off toward the math building. On his way, he noticed a pain in his stomach and then a rumbling shook his entire body. He was hungry, again. He'd just eaten. He stopped at a vending machine in the hall and bought another chocolate bar. Unwrapped it there and devoured it in three large bites. He chewed as fast as he could, trying to swallow too soon and nearly choking. A teacher... One Nicholas had never taken a class from passed the end of the hall and spotted him shoving chocolate in his face. Lunch is over. Get to class or go to the office. Your choice, she said. Nicholas rushed down the hall and ducked into his math class. The dead fox's hair vibrates in the remnants of breeze that filters through the golden grasses. Soon, night has fallen. Lightning illuminates the horizon, a storm fast approaching. Sprinkles hit first, small and rare enough that only a handful make it through the waving stalks of vegetation and moisten the fox's fur. But luck doesn't hold for the small animal's corpse, 
and within minutes large drops of rain pummeled the landscape, drenching everything in sight. The torrent of rainfall runs like rivers through the now-matted fur. Each strand of red and gold hair clumps together with others around it until the fox's coat has coagulated into thick strands. Under the pressure of the rainfall, each thick bundle falls away, easily taking with it a chunk of the animal's skin, the communal home of those hairs. In short order, the fresh body of the fox is melted, and all that is left is a puddle of goo at the bottom of a hole. The storm rages for hours. Lightning splits the night sky. Thunder crashes across the fields. The storm fills the hole with several inches of water, on top of which floats a slick of fur, fat, and other foul bits. Nicholas could not concentrate during math class. All he could think about was the chocolate bar he had just eaten. He still tasted it on his tongue. And more than anything, in that moment, while his teacher wrote an algebra equation he would never be able to solve, he wanted that chocolate bar to still be in his mouth. Or maybe a new one. A new one sounded better to him. He thought about the breakfast he had that morning, three eggs and four slices of toast, a glass of milk, a glass of orange juice, and he grabbed an apple on the way out. He thought about the sandwich he ate at lunch not long before math, and then he thought about those chocolate bars some more. Suddenly the room was filled with laughter. Everyone's eyes were on him, including the teacher's. Well, the teacher asked him, What's the answer, Nicholas? Nicholas looked at the whiteboard and tried to read the equation, but all he could see were french fries and potato chips. He shook his head. I don't know. Of course not, the teacher said. I'm sorry, he said. I'm just really distracted and having a hard time concentrating. See me after class, the teacher said as they turned back to the whiteboard. Nicholas got detention from his math teacher. He was the only student in detention that afternoon, and shortly after his 40-minute sentence began, the supervising teacher left the room and Nicholas felt his eyelids fall heavy. The morning sun sweeps across a damp landscape. Raindrops still cling to the tips of blades of grass and twinkle as the sunrise reaches them. They sparkle for a moment, breaking the sunlight into countless tiny pieces and then evaporate almost as quickly. The sunshine reaches a small hole filled with water and sinew and bone. The soupy mess warms as a result of the sun's energy, and soon the temperature of that primordial ooze is higher than that of the surrounding air. The puddle quivers. A centipede skitters across the dirt, through the thick vegetative growth along the ground. It wiggles and worms its way forward, driven by the scent of decay somewhere up ahead. After a long journey, 
with the sun now high in the sky, the centipede reaches the edge of that rancid hole. The dirt surrounding it, soft from the rainfall, gives way. The centipede tumbles down the steep sides and plunks into the foul water. The water churns. The centipede is crushed by the shifting carcasses, ground to bits. Legs and antenna and soft buggy bits float to the top of the water. Neither of Nicholas's parents were home for dinner that night. Both had to work late, and so he was left to his own devices. This was a situation that Nicholas truly loved. He started with a frozen pizza, with which he downed a half of a two-liter bottle of Coke. When he had downed the pizza and still wasn't satisfied, he made a sandwich and drank the other half of the two-liter. When the sandwich wasn't enough, he made macaroni and cheese and several frozen chicken tenders. Then, he washed it all down with a heaping bowl of ice cream. Very mildly full, he decided the meal was good enough and sat down on the couch, pleased with himself. The warmth in his belly cradled him like a baby being rocked by their mother, and he quickly fell asleep for the third time that day. A flock of birds fly into the late afternoon sky, startled by the sudden percussive outburst of stone grinding against stone. After a moment, several inches of water, mixed with a fox carcass and a snake and a dead bird and a centipede, tumble into a newly revealed opening. Sunlight follows the falling concoction down to its new resting place, a slab of flat rock in the center of a cavernous stone chamber. The water splashes against the stone. The animal's bones splinter from the impact. A smack and a chorus of cracks echo off the stone walls, and then silence returns to that long, sealed place. A shaft of warm yellow light pierces through the dark like a golden knife. Drops of water, remnants of that putrid puddle, drip down from the surface for several more minutes. Bits of dust from the world above dance in the glow. The hole above snaps shut, cutting off the sunlight and plunging the cavern back into darkness. The flat rock shifts upward, tossing the carrion onto the floor of the chamber. The moment passes before the same flat stone slides across the cave floor. It scrapes slowly and with purpose toward the heap of rotting flesh. It reaches the fox and mouse and centipede, and before long the flat stone has covered the bones up with its immense weight. For several hours the stone slides back and forth over the dead animals, grinding what's left of them into a fine paste. The stone withdraws, scraping back to a position below the hole in the ground above. A tinkling rings out in the once again silent chamber. Water flows from somewhere up above. A steady, gentle stream of crystal clear water picks up and flows through the center of the stone hollow, 
carrying with it bits of bone and strands of sinew, and washing away the blood across the cave and down a small shaft in the back of the chamber, leading deeper into the earth. Rumble, almost a groan from deep in the earth, imperceptible to anything or anyone on the surface, vibrates the stone walls of the cave. Nicholas was jolted from sleep by intense pain. It felt to him, in that moment, that he had a knife in his abdomen just below his ribcage. He burped, and that helped to release some of the pressure, but the pain remained. The putrid gas from his gut smelled to him like rotting meat. He nearly gagged from his rancid gas. He grabbed his stomach, farted, and again the pain didn't improve. It was well past midnight. The house was quiet. No one else was awake. He pulled off the sheet and found it, again, soaked through with sweat. His joints ached, especially his ankles. Putting his feet on the ground and then rising out of bed, he felt as though they were made of glass and might break with any false movement. Nicholas stumbled into the hallway and shoved his shoulder into the wall to steady himself. He used the wall as support to walk down the hall, careful on his obviously swollen ankles. Despite the pain, despite the gas, all he wanted to do was get to the kitchen. He lurched forward and into the banister. Looking down the dark staircase, his stomach flipped, but he knew he had to descend. Two steps was all he made it down the stairs before his left leg suddenly gave out. He dropped and catapulted down the stairs, tumbling for what seemed like an eternity. When the first floor finally came up to meet him, he found the floor of the home he had lived in since he was a small boy had turned to hard stone. He heard a sharp crack from the impact of his right shoulder driving into the unforgiving rock. He whimpered, but caught his breath, and within a few moments had pushed himself to his knees with his left hand. His weak ankles, miraculously, bore his weight, and he stood up tall, cradling his right arm. Half from the pain in his right shoulder and half from the pain in his gut, Nicholas doubled over and retched. He vomited foam, yellow and bitter and heavy with bile. It smacked against the rough stone. He groaned and pushed forward, dragging his feet against the rock toward the kitchen. He saw now, in the dark of night, the walls of his house had also changed to rough gray stone. He thought the house now resembled a cave of some sort, deep in some mountain, and pushed on into a narrow cavern that at one time led to the kitchen. It was colder down here, in the earth. He pushed on, further than he thought he would have to, much further thinking only of the refrigerator that was his ultimate goal. Deeper into the cave, Nicholas stumbled, at some points stooping low, 
and at others having to crawl through narrow tunnels. Then he noticed the sound, similar to one his guts were making, but coming from everywhere around him. He stopped and held his hand against the cave's rock walls and felt it, felt the sound, vibrating through the stone. He moved his hand to the other side of the tunnel and held his hand against the opposite wall. It was there also. Nicholas stooped down and put the palm of his hand against the stone ground. The vibrations were there, too. His stomach grumbled. He was so hungry. He pressed on, deeper into the stone labyrinth. Suddenly, Nicholas lost his footing. His ass hit the hard rock, and he realized the ground beneath his feet now pitched down at an incredible angle. He slid and slid. The rumbling around him, that horrible noise assaulting him from all angles, grew to a great volume. The pangs in his stomach assaulted his guts, and he wanted nothing more than to be in the kitchen. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, The Hunger at the Center of Everything, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Snacks and Rolling Hills. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other shows. They're great. New episodes the second Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows. <laughs>